welcome to the podcast. We've got fresh content from some of the brightest minds in the Bitcoin, blockchain, and crypto space. With feeds on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram that make it so incredibly easy to keep to the pulse of what's happening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and even hit the share button to send to someone you know who would love to know about this totally free podcast. Huge thanks to our main sponsor, UnoCoin, who are not only India's leading crypto assets blockchain company, but also the reason why this podcast is available to you completely free of charge. With that said, let's jump into one of the Blockchain Impact Conference talks that took place in Toronto, Canada on December 8th, 2017. Enjoy. My name is Brian. I am on a project called Ucash. It is a global peer-to-peer financial services network, and I'm excited to to moderate this panel. Um, Here's why. So actually, before we start, a quick show of hands. Who here found out about uh, Bitcoin within the last three months? Show of hands. Very few. So this is actually uh, so another question. Um, show of hands if it was the Bitcoin price that initially got you interested in this industry. Wow. So I was actually part of that group. Um, so when I actually first found out about uh, Bitcoin, it was actually the price uh, that, that really got me a massive increase in price. But over time working in the, in the industry, I realized that uh, this industry is more than just the price going up and down, more than what the news reports. Um, and I'm pleasured uh, to be moderating a panel with folks who are actually developing um, applications that utilize Bitcoin, blockchain, and smart contract technology to bring practical use cases. And what I'd like to do is I'd love for all of our panelists to introduce themselves, the project that they're working on, and how they're implementing Bitcoin, blockchain, and smart contracts into their applications. Maybe we'll start with uh, Avina. Sure. Um, hey guys, my name is Avi. I run product at purse.io. Originally went to uh, Waterloo for engineering. Uh, Purse gives users 15 to 30% off anything on Amazon. Catches, you gotta spend with Bitcoin. Cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm Britt Young, I work on the for profit side of uh, Stellar, Stellar. And Stellar is a uh, kind of an internet level protocol that allows for decentralized cross asset transfer. That actually means is that it's uh, kind of like a decentralized SWIFT, so very much an infrastructure level play to support multi asset uh, uh, representation and cross asset liquidity. Uh, my name is Brian Hoffman. I am uh, CEO of OB1, uh, which is building Open Bazaar, a decentralized peer to peer marketplace uh, for buying and selling anything anywhere. No fees whatsoever, uh, with no, no restrictions, uh, with Bitcoin and soon to be Bitcoin Cash and Litecoin and Zcash, and we're going to have a token soon too. So we're just going to do everything. <laughs> Hello, Sean Owen, uh, with CEO of Salt Lending. Uh, what we're focusing on is building everything around collateral and how to custodian. Uh, digital assets such as Bitcoin to be used as property. So we allow for somebody on one end to invest cash or lend cash. That could be cryptocurrency, that could be uh, national currencies, which is the real big demand right now. Against an asset class of Bitcoin and Ethereum and everything else. So we see a vision in the future where your portfolio can be built of everything you have represented in digital assets. And then you can choose what you really want to save and what you really want to spend and borrow against that for a line of credit. Uh, ultimately becoming kind of your spending vehicle so you can save before you spend. Hi folks, Sheila James. I'm with a company called Veeam. And Veeam is a business 
business cross-border payment option. So basically it's a wire replacement. And the idea behind it is today when you're using wire, the small businesses that are sending money overseas have no idea when the funds have left the originator, no idea where they are in between, and no idea when they've reached the receiver. They are hit by fees with their various banks. The FX fees are not very transparent. And so what we aim to provide our customers using blockchain technology is a way to initiate transfers around the world, be able to track those transfers along the way, and the funds are going from a bank to bank. So this really, using blockchain, we're able to enter into some of the emerging markets more quickly than using some of the other technologies available. I'm Diego Gutierrez Saldivar. I'm the CEO of RSK, uh, which created Rootstock, the first smart contract platform secured by the Bitcoin network. And I'm also the president of the Latin American Bitcoin NGO. Uh, so I've been working on financial inclusion for three years now. And RSK was born with the purpose of creating the infrastructure to enable financial inclusion in Latin America and hopefully the rest of the world. Right, so we have, just, just to summarize, we have financial inclusion, we have remittance, we have peer-to-peer uh, loans, we have uh, an e-commerce marketplace that wants to do everything, uh, settlement, and we have Amazon, uh, like a deal by Amazon. So uh, quite a bit of range of industry. So what I wanted to ask the, uh, the, the panelists, uh, what is it specifically about the technology that you're deploying that you couldn't otherwise use a database? Or what is it about this technology that allows you to do what you can do? Um, well, uh, the first thing is trust. Oh, yeah, yeah. So basically using decentralized networks, the, the open decentralized networks, what we do is we empower the individual to be in control of their data and their value instead of relying on third parties. So that was, I mean, I started trying to do the financial inclusion projects with Bitcoin, then I realized it was too volatile for people who pass like four to five days. Uh, of financial horizon, so we ended up like we needed to tokenize the local currency, but that's like only an element, uh, short-term need. Uh, but the most important thing is with these technologies, you can create reputations and identities that are trustable, and those identities based on reputation become the collateral for the excluded in our society. Uh, basically, people is excluded because they are invisible to the system; they don't have a track record; they don't have, you know. Uh, any kind of element, a collateral, any kind of element that will enable traditional financial institutions to actually, uh, you know, interact with them. So by building a, an identity on the blockchain and building reputation on top of it, we can be, give them a collateral and the means to to reach better markets, to to be known, to access to very basic financial services. So real quick, in some ways, the blockchain allows us to buy time. Today, if you want to send money from a U.S. company to a supplier in Korea, and they're using wire transfer, that can take anywhere from three to five business days for the funds to be received. So in leveraging blockchain, in which case what we're doing is we're taking local fiat, converting it into BTC, moving it around the world, converting it back into local fiat, and doing the payout to the end receiver. 
Korea's banking system is a little more advanced than our Canadian banking system, so they can actually pay out in 10 minutes. So it takes me roughly 10 minutes to move the funds from a US bank account to a Korean bank account. That's significantly different in three to five business days over the wire network. Yeah, virtually everything that our business does would not exist at all without blockchain. So, you know, the invention of Bitcoin specifically is what I think got most everybody excited. That definitely what got me excited. Uh, and the ability to hold an asset that nobody else controls, that you know you have the ownership. It might seem a little scary, but you, it's actually very empowering as well. So everything we're doing would be impossible on a database, first and foremost, because the collateral on the assets class wouldn't exist. Uh, but then we're building directly onto these blockchains. So we're really focused on a smart contract element of both Bitcoin and really excited about Ethereum. And then, you know, we're agnostic to everything else, but it's predicated entirely off of this system. So, you know, it would be impossible and wouldn't exist without just, with, with just a database. Uh, well, you know, the entire reason OpenBazaar exists is to try and get rid of the middleman, whether that's Amazon or eBay or whoever. Um, and that role is really served well by a central party because they can control the trust. Uh, if a merchant doesn't deliver his goods or services, they can withhold payment, they can fix it, issue refunds, do all that, right? You can't do that if you take them away. So what the blockchain and smart contracts allows you to do is create kind of a virtual escrow system so that those funds are held outside of the reach of both parties until they actually agree to do something with it. If, if, if the buyer or the merchant is unhappy, then, then another third party can come in and help them dispute that. And that's all done through smart contracts on the blockchain. Just as it's impossible. Not to mention the you know, idea of moving money across borders, which is just completely frictionful. I mean, our marketplace launched in over 200 countries on the first day, and there were plenty of transactions going back and forth between the countries instantaneously. Well, not on blockchain, but um, not on Bitcoin blockchain at least, um, but close to instantaneously. Uh, so it really literally couldn't be done without blockchain. Yeah, I think it's a good question. At least once a week, my co-founder and I look at each other and say, I, I would not have chosen a distributed system for to solve that problem. So uh, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, if you take a, look, take a look at Swift, Swift is sort of the centralized version of what we, what we have. And if you want access to Swift, if we want access to that liquidity, uh, you have to have a banking license, right? So that means any non-bank financial institution that wants to, to move money has to, to have some sort of banking partner. Um, and so it's a very powerful idea to have this like open network and open uh, mechanism to, to access liquidity. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what, what the Stellar Protocol does. Um, so it's just core to, it's, it's like core to actually solving the problem. I mean, Bitcoin is a really cool idea in that you can have this counterpart of a store of value. But as soon as you want to go from uh, Bitcoin to another asset class, you're stuck going into the whole paradigm of having to trust someone, right? You have to trust someone to do that exchange of, exchange of, uh, of value. And so the Stellar Decentralized Exchange allows that, that uh, exchange of value to happen. Uh, you know, in a, in a counterpart of this way, which is a which is a really powerful idea. Um, so for us, it's the global payment aspect that really attracts us to Bitcoin. Um, the way we can actually offer discounts is that there are people around the world with gift cards. Uh, Two billion dollars in Amazon gift cards go unspent. As far as retailers go, retailers go, they love this. As soon as they have money sent to a gift card, they know that that customer is locked in for not just that amount, but for a bit more as well. So most of these people are mechanical truck workers earning like small amounts. And the alternative to Amazon balances is a check sent to them, which they have to wait two weeks to get, and then they need to take that to the bank, 
if they have a bank account and then deposit it there. So with Bitcoin, we kind of give them a way to liquidate uh, this illiquid currency, which is Amazon balances to a much more liquid currency, which is Bitcoin. So for US shoppers, for Canadian shoppers, it's not other local people here and there that are fulfilling your order. It's people around the world with gift card balances that are like, I have got $100, $50 in gift cards. I would rather have $40 in Bitcoin. So there's no way we could cross borders across the world with any single fiat currency. And supporting multiple as a startup is just unreasonable. Terrific, so it seems like generally this technology is not used to make incremental changes to whatever products that you're working on. It's actually core to your, your product or service and without it you can't really operate it. So a uh, question I had just before I go to the audience, um, what are some of the limitations of using this technology in your projects, um, whether technical, uh, regulatory, I'm curious to hear about that. You're gonna spend a lot of money dealing with lawyers. Um, one of the biggest ones, at least in our case, is that um, we allow people to be anonymous. There's a lot of problems with anonymity on the internet, right? Like, I mean, we see that on Twitter, right? Like, it's like a cluster most of the time. It's just a disaster. And on Facebook, they don't have as much of a problem, right? Because they require so much kind of personal information. Um, so, so how do we build like, you know, trust with anonymity? We have to figure out clever new mechanisms and, and ways to work around that. So that's one of the biggest challenges we have. I mean, as a marketplace, fraud and trustworthiness are like the hands down the biggest issues that you have to provide to users where they find no value there. So uh, that's a big one for us. Um, for us as a payment channel, um, the most common thing is transaction fees. Uh, people put in small amounts to purchase like um, regular things on purse. So for earners, like if they have like $10 in gift cards in order for them to pull, them, pull it out, they have paid like four to $6 in fees, which is absolutely ridiculous. So as a company, we need to think of engineering solutions that'll give them the, the use case that they're expecting, which is a standard fixed fee that they know beforehand. For uh, the blockchain network, uh, it's not really hard, like it's not really, it doesn't really make sense. So as a company, what we have to do is set a fee and then pay the difference uh, when we kind of withdraw it for our users. We have been taking a small hit, but as a business, we kind of like chalk it off as like operational expenses. In our case, I mean, so we're moving from local fiat to local fiat. This is for small businesses. Small businesses are not about small remittance payments into the Philippines. So we're often dealing in large dollar values. Once you start getting into larger dollar values, you start hitting liquidity issues sometimes. And so the, you know, the countries that we actually operate with uh, Bitcoin in are countries where there are exchanges that are maturing and coming up with more mature ways to deal uh, with the liquidity issue. So that's one of the issues. You know, we all keep mentioning the regulatory environment. You know, when the regulatory environment changes, all of a sudden you have a corridor that would literally disappear if you don't have a backup plan for that corridor. China being a great example, right? So when regulators step in and all of a sudden I can't convert my BTC in China into, um, into CNY for the disbursement, that becomes a big problem. So, you know, when you're relying on such a new emerging technology, you must make sure you have a backup plan so that you can sustain your services. 
um, in, in our scenario, in the financial inclusion scenario, one of the main challenges is the transactional cost because it, it goes even, uh, you need to be under one cent or maybe under two cents USD per transaction if you, if you want to, the people in the slums to actually use the system. So that's why in RSK we are building also infrastructure, third layer infrastructure and seeing how we can scale uh, transactions. Now we, we can process 100 transactions per second. So that's 20 times more than Bitcoin with the same infrastructure. So that's maybe five cents per transaction. And with Lumino there is the third layer uh, that is off-chain transactions. We can reach 10 times that. So that's you know taking transactional cost to half a cent. So that's one of the challenges. You know? It's like um, that's one of the things we are trying to solve with our technology. And um, and the other thing that is unrelated to to Bitcoin or, or blockchain or, or not is education, because this is a, a you need to give them both uh, you know digital alphabetization and also uh, teach them on personal finance because they, they, they are not accustomed to, to handle their finance properly. They are just, I mean, money burns in their hands. They, they just get it away because they don't have safety. And that's the other thing we are trying to solve with these financial inclusion systems. Give them safetyness, like give them a place where they can store value and be safe and enter into the slums and the, into the dangerous part of, of the, the most dangerous part of the city without having all the cash on top of them because they get stuck. It's basically, I mean, it's not an euphemism, is what happens. Yeah, and I, I would just kind of pile on a club regulatory piece, I mean, especially amongst the high finance community. This is a group of, of people that post-crisis, they, they don't want to lift a finger off it unless they've talked to a regulator. So the education process, uh, the market validation is just really important. The psyche of modern bankers is really one that they, they would really prefer not to do anything unless the, the regulator is, is openly blessed, blessed uh, you know, what's, what's going on. So I think there's a lot of like looking over each other's shoulder uh, to say, hey, is it my competitor doing this? Um, you know, how am I going to articulate this to the, to the regulator? Um, that, that's a big part of, uh, of the challenge. I, I think the encouraging part, to, to take the other side of it, is that you know, a year ago, there's, people like central banks were just kind of allergic to this concept. And, and now you know, there's real conversations about doing some pretty impressive things. So the, the, the trajectory is, is actually pretty, is pretty encouraging, although it, it does move at the speed of, uh, of banking. Uh, so just to summarize, I heard problems of uh, anonymity, uh, liquidity, uh, education, regulatory, and there was another one that... Payments and fees. Payments and fees. Uh, so a lot, a lot of issues. Um, I, I actually have a whole bunch more questions, but I don't want to hog it all. Um, if there's anyone in the audience that has a question, we'd love to, we'd love to fire it up to the audience. So what happens to the price of Bitcoin between like time of transfer? Yeah, so we are, we're actually not long on Bitcoin. Um, we buy it and sell it, you know, as quick to instantaneous as possible, hopefully within a 10 minute period of time. And our company's taking the liability on those, um, 
on those shifts. So what can Canadian banks do to, to help spur this innovation? And second one is how can blockchain affect digital advertising? I think on the banking side, and I'm not Canadian, but I think this is kind of true everywhere, it's, it's very frustrating if you're employing people, if you're building something that's got great value, if you have a lot of investors that are counting on you, and you go to a bank and, you, and they say, uh, maybe not. And it's mostly back to the same issue with the regulation in general, which is a lack of understanding or just a learning curve. There's a lot that goes on when you first hear about this technology, and there's a lot of information. You can take it in so many different ways. But I think there's just a constant need to help educate people. But it would be really nice if we could just get bank accounts and solve that, because that kind of solves the custodian piece, that can solve so many other pieces of this, and it's not so oil and water. Uh, I'll let somebody else speak to the marketing piece. Um, actually, I mean, I'll, I'll touch on that one real quick because uh, actually the, the token that we're bringing out is relevant to advertising, which is, you know, on decentralized networks, uh, it's very hard to match good content or value with consumers. Uh, it's all over the universe, right? And it's not indexed by like a Google. So uh, one way that you can do that is to kind of crowdsource good uh, products and services and things like that and, and then use smart contracts in order for people to bid to be next to that content um, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at, at doing is helping people discover good quality things uh, and then being able to monetize that through ads so you can think of it as a Google AdWords or Google AdSense for decentralized networks. Yeah I think for the banking piece it's unfortunate all my answers are, are about banking I have other cool opinions that are finance related but uh, you know, I think if there was one thing the banks could do is actually just hold this stuff on the balance sheet because that belongs in incentives. Right now the banks are doing like a thousand pilots and they're saying all the buzzwords, but, but like money is cheap for them and uh, they have huge IT departments. I think to actually align the business with the, you know, with the future here, if you had like some business unit that had crypto on its balance sheet, I think they would figure it out a lot faster than doing these like science projects across the IT landscape. Um, so it's a little bit of a social engineering answer, but I think, look, everyone talks their book, and if, if banks have the stuff in the book, I think the, the attitudes would be you know, like totally different. Um, I, I will shift it away from the banks because I think it's also a problem with the regulators, because basically for the bank, the problem is that they try to shut down my my company's account as well. But the, the, the thing is they did because at the end they realized I was not trading Bitcoin, that I was only a Bitcoin company. But you know, it was, I was, that was very close. And it was just the compliance officer of the bank like, you know, saying, uh, oh, I don't own any, anything that has Bitcoin somewhere in the description or anywhere else. So, and I'm an infrastructure company. I don't deal with cash like, like you do when you do remittances and everything. So at the end, the problem is that for the bank, the incentive is low because the business I can, you know, a Bitcoin company can bring are small in terms of the transactional costs and everything, and the risks are known. 
Is it, so basically, if the regulators can bring, give the banks like clear guidelines, and mostly extend whatever they are doing, because it's not that Bitcoin is a different kind. I mean, it's just another kind of money. So, I mean, a special one for sure, but still is one way of another kind of money. So, if the regulators could extend whatever regulation they have for the banks and say, okay, if they are dealing with Bitcoin, the rules are the same, AML is the same, KYC is the same, uh, then the banks should be feel more comfortable hosting Bitcoin companies. But uh, so I think it's both sides. It's two sides. For the bank, there's little economic incentive to do it, and a no and no risk. So if the regulators turn that unknown risk into a known risk, uh, banks will be more willing to adopt us. Uh, okay, children. And uh, that's all the time we have. So I think our speakers are going to be available afterwards for questions. Some of them. Uh, round of applause for our panelists. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share with a friend you think would appreciate the send. Up next, more talks from past conferences. Thanks for listening.